1 Corinthians 6, 12. We got through verse 11 last week. The Bible says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom from your word tonight. May your Holy Spirit speak to us and use the word to help us to grow and to get closer to you, that our lives might glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want you to hold your place in 1 Corinthians and just go with me to Galatians 5. Or have your, have your finger in Galatians 5. Who knows what's in Galatians 5 without looking? The fruit of the Spirit, that's right. I don't want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. I want to talk to you about liberty. But it's unique that the fruit of the Spirit does show up there in that line of thinking. So I want you to have that in your mind as you go through this. Now, I've titled tonight's sermon based off of this passage... Lawful, but not helpful. Paul writes here in chapter 6, verse 12, All things are lawful unto me, but, but all things are not expedient. And so this is an exercise in Christian liberty, especially given our theological position and our sanctification here. If we could lose our salvation, we would lose our salvation. So what is it that we could do then to lose our salvation? Well, we would have to answer that with, with nothing. So if we answer that with nothing, then we're free to do everything. And you see the pitfall of that because you looked at me like, mm, that's not true. So, and parents, I need you to be wise in what I'm saying tonight. There's some adult themes that are in this passage that I'm not going to talk about in mixed company. But I need you to understand that those are particular here. Something that has happened down through the years in the church is preachers for the sake of good manners would be careful in such passages and not say things. And I'm going to do that tonight. But then people wouldn't hear or read the things that were actually there. There's a very specific sin that Paul is talking about here. And he just, he just no bones about it, says this is a horrible thing that's going on here and it shouldn't be. And over the years, what we see happening in the church then, because preachers are trying to have good manners and they deal with such things, is it almost gets treated like, well, this is not really a sin, so it's okay. And so we have generations of young people moving in together and not being married and living as if they were married before they ever got married. And that, that would be the one thing that's, that's clear here. But that's, that's more of the thing that he addresses that is clear in the passage. But you and I can apply and use this passage for many, many things. Is it a sin for me to do blank or isn't it? 
Am I allowed as a Christian to be involved in this or am I not? And if we're not careful, we'll only ever base that upon what the culture around us allows at the time or doesn't allow at the time. So well, then who's setting the standard? Is it the standard of God's holiness or is it the standard of the culture's holiness around us because we don't want them to not think we're Christians? And so this is a, this is a complicated issue, but I think it's very well dealt with in Scripture. Now, we've read Corinthians. I do want to read to you from Galatians before we get into it here. So start with, with me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I don't have notes from Galatians 5, and I'm just going to shoot from the hips here just a little bit. But you understand what Paul is saying there. Don't become pharisaical. Don't start living again in a legalistic manner as these old covenant saints found themselves doing because Christ has made you free. So stand fast in your liberty there as saints. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now here he gets into a specific example of a thing that would bring bondage. For I testify again that every man is circumcised, he is debtor to the whole law. Christ has become no effect of you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now, don't even think on Paul's example there. Think of that thing in your life that you say, this absolutely has to be a sin, and anybody who does this thing, they're sinning. I don't care how they twist or turn it. You all have one of those things. You've probably heard me talk about, I grew up around a bunch of North Georgia Mountain preachers that believed you had to wear a white shirt to get into the pulpit. And any preacher who wore blue or yellow, or God help you wear pink, was unholy and shouldn't be preaching. Am I lying, Brother Scotty? Wasn't that the rule at Southwide? Southwide Baptist Fellowship. And Scotty was in charge of that. Did you enforce that rule on everybody but Larry Brown, right? <laughs> do, you, do you remember these rules, Brother Hartzell? You got, if you were going to preach, you had to wear a white shirt. And anybody who didn't was just a rebellious person or they didn't understand or whatever. And, and that's kind of a silly one. But you have these rules. You have them in your brains. You have them in your home. You have them with your family. And you say, you know... Bless God. They just ought not be. And Christians shouldn't be doing this. Yes, Miss Carol. Growing up, you know, I personally don't like it. We expected the pastor white shirt and tie and jacket. Yep. Well, for sure. Absolutely. You don't mind a blue shirt every now and then now, though, right? I don't even mind pink shirt. Yeah. But the tie and the jacket's nice, isn't it? See, I'm a fan of the tie and the jacket. And, yeah. well, except when it's this hot. Yes, sir, Brother Homer. I grew up with the phrase, Sunday going to make me blow. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. And there's still some barriers to that, I think. I'll give you a couple other examples. Um, how many of you ever grew up where going to the theaters was a sin? Movie theaters, that was a sin, right? I, to, just to be clear, I took Sinead to the theater last night. We watched Downton Abbey movie for our anniversary. So... I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm just saying that's what we did. It was sweet and romantic in some ways and a lot of things I didn't like about it. But uh, I don't feel like that's the case. But ever how many years ago, let's say 50 years ago, if you'd have seen, especially the preacher's car, at the, they weren't called theaters, they were called the movie house. At the movie house, and that, you remember the Chuck Swindoll joke? I love the Chuck Swindoll joke. The, the, the gossip said, I saw your car at the, the bar last night. 
and the guy parked his car in front of her house the next night, you know, but that's fantastic. Um, my family, for the longest, my parents would not eat anywhere out that served alcohol whatsoever. Whether we drank it or not was irrelevant. If they served it, it was a bad day in my life when Pizza Hut started having beer. Man, I'm a little kid there, and I love Pizza Hut as a little kid. And they had um, Mortal Kombat on the video machine there. I could put my quarters in and play the video game. And then they started serving beer, and well, that was that for me. So it was Shawnee's and Captain D's was it at that point. And then Cracker Barrel came along, and we had somewhere else to go. And we, we changed on that. And see, there's the other problem with Christian liberty. If we're not careful, we're always adapting to the culture. What does that say to the lost in our lives? Well, they don't, I mean, either we don't know what sin is or we can't figure it out. What I would say to a group like ours is probably we could ease up a little on our legalism. What I would say to a group of antinomians, meaning these are people who are sinning to grace, for grace to abound, the Corinthians, I would say you could increase your holiness just a little bit. Paul's point here is there's middle ground. Now, what the point he makes to the Galatians that I wanted to read to you here is he said, if you require someone to be circumcised, then, then you made yourself guilty to the entire law. Now that's what we've got to remember. If we're going to get legalistic with our Christian liberties, then we've made ourselves guilty of the entire law. So don't come tell me that I can't go to the movie house if you're going to eat bacon. Right? This is the truth. And I'm not going to tell you you can't eat bacon if I'm going to go down to Pizza Hut and eat, eat pizza where they serve beer. Right? But these things cause these head-butting conflicts among Christians and church splits and people looking down their noses at each other and saying, how dare they do such things? Now remember our passage in Corinthians. It's actually talking about physical immorality. And we want to deal with physical immorality a little tonight. But for the sake of mixed company, I'm talking about a bunch of other examples. Now let's keep reading in Galatians. Verse 5, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So what's the most two important things in this chapter then so far? Faith and love. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your all. And what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus made, said those fulfill all the rest. They told Basically, let me, let me paraphrase the Bible here a little bit. The chance-inspired version. God speaking to Peter. Peter, you can eat all the bacon and hot dogs and cheeseburgers you want. That's not pork. Barbecue sandwiches you want if you love God with your all and love your neighbors yourself. And this was the fulfillment of all. This is what God was talking about here. Uh, verse 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey truth? What's he saying there? He says, you've not been standing fast in your Christian liberty. You've got more locked up in your legalism and, and what, what hindered you? How'd you get back under that yoke of bondage? Verse 8, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord. Let's get down through uh, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because why do we, why do we hold to legalistic things? Because we want to be right. We want to do right. We don't want to be displeasing to God. We don't want to be unholy. Well, Paul gives us a better solution here, doesn't he? If you'll just walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
The human way is to say, I'm not going to do this or this or this or this. But God's way, according to Holy Spirit inspiration here, is if you'll just walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill these lusts of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. A lot of other good verses there, but I can't spend much more time. Let's go back to chapter 6 here. So Paul is making the point to the Corinthians that though some things are lawful, they are not helpful. Now, to them, he is going to get pretty specific here. In fact, he's going to make the point by the end of this chapter that their logic is wrong in justifying this behavior. And if you, you study the town of Corinth, there was this secular practice involving this false worship, and it, it dealt with a lot of immorality. And evidently there were Christians in the Corinthian church who were still sort of attached to that in some way. And Paul is having to write to him and, here and say, that you can't be doing this. Not to us who are not involved in that. This is still applicable. From, from them moving on, just this idea that though a thing is lawful doesn't mean that it's helpful. Though a thing is acceptable doesn't mean that it's expedient. And he kind of gives us what Chuck Swindoll calls here some guardrails. Aren't you thankful for guardrails? On the one end, you have legalism. On the other end, you have, we'll call it liberalism. I don't like to use that word, but I like antinomianism. But this idea that I can do all, anything that I want. And they kind of keep us bounced into the middle of the road of just in a relationship with the Lord, walking in the Spirit, and our thoughts, words, and actions glorifying Him. With that in mind, let me just give you three quick headings then. The, the illustration, the instruction, and then the issue. I'm going to start with the illustration because that's where Paul begins. And he's using some phrases here that would have been common in their day to kind of justify them doing what they were doing. Like, well, we have these in our day too. One of my least favorite, but I'll find myself saying it at times in our day is, well, it is what it is. What does that actually mean? I'm aware, but I'm not going to do anything about it. No, it ain't what it ain't. If you shouldn't be doing it, it, it isn't what it is. I got confused there. Well, Paul's day, they were saying the same thing. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. All things are lawful for me. All of these things are going on here. And he begins with the point that some things, though allowable, are helpful. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should especially in regards to things that become habitual. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We are plagued in our day with what we call in our culture the opioid crisis. We have learned through you know, prescriptions and misuse and all of these things that this is highly addictive and... I don't, know, I don't know the study here, but my understanding would be not very many people can resist the, the habit forming of these type of pain relieving drugs, so much so that doctors and pharmacies have really clinched down on this, and you can have some really bad pain these days, and they may not even give you that. They'll try something else first or, or whatever, because it is such a harmful thing. Well, there's something in all of our lives that we can become addicted to, even things that otherwise would be positive. 
Some people get addicted to dieting and exercise to the point of they overdo it so much that it begins to hurt to harm their bodies. And so Paul is making the point here. The fat preacher is going to tell you, don't be, don't be getting addicted to dieting and exercise. Right? Amen. I'm not going to use the illustration of donuts there. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> but Paul, that's one of his guardrails here. He says, anything that you can be brought under the power of, we must steer away from that side of it. So, he's just twice now, and I want us to be clear on this. As we think about things being lawful for me, Paul says, all things are lawful unto me. And I gave you that premise to start with. What can I do to lose my salvation? Well, well, nothing. So, well, then everything's got to be lawful for me, right? Well, yes, but don't miss what he's already said. Verse 9 and 10, these are not lawful for you. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. We got the same thing in chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. Uh, another list there. The last two weeks, I've laid those out for you. I've defined them for you. If you need definition, I can give those to you. Now, outside of those specific things that he's listed here in this context, there are things that are still lawful, yet they are unbecoming for a Christian. McDonald says it this way. He says, Paul is here speaking only about those things that are morally indifferent. Well, who decides what is morally different or morally indifferent the society at that time i guess well that's hard for you and i because we say well, we're just going to do what the bible says we're going to live based off the truths of scripture but even with that as times change there are things that are going on we're almost back there but we're not quite where corinth was in paul's day we're not seeing false worship that involves physical immorality in mass now, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on because of Pride Month, we're, we're just about that far from this. And it was happening in Corinth, and it won't be long before it's happening here. And sadly, you're seeing major denominations of the church. And I've got quote fingers up if you can't see that. Because I don't consider any one church who would embrace this. One bit, not zero. Not, not, not one bit. And just this week, Southern Baptists had their annual convention. And they just went all but right there. And so, what, where are we left then? Well, we're, we're there. We're, I mean, we're, we're within a year of, of being Corinth. So, what are you and I to do in regards to that? Do we just go along with the culture and say, well, we don't want to be legalistic and we want to be loving. Isn't that what, what he said to the Galatians? Have faith and love. Well, so many interpret faith and love as we just got to go along with everything. We can't be, we don't want to be mean. So Paul is dealing with this here. We mustn't abuse the freedom that we have under grace. Sproul said this, and I'm only going to give you quite half the quote for the sake of the children, but he says, freedom in Christ is deployed in what is helpful to others and does not lead us into being dominated by sinful desires, a senseless return to enslavement. You've got... Um, one of Sproul's study Bibles, Reformation study Bible. Good notes in there. You can read the rest of that. Now, so on one end we have this 
I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. But at the same time, I don't want this to be all negative because look what we have in Christ. What freedom. Do you imagine what an old covenant saint would say to you and I? That just said, you know, did you keep your diet today? And we'd say, well, I don't know. Did you make sure you didn't wear the wrong garments today? I just put on whatever my wife laid out for me. What, what was I not supposed to wear? Were you, you weren't supposed to mix the blends. Oh, I think I've mixed the blends there. What a blessing it must be from their point of view that where you and I live. This freedom, this liberty that we're to stand fast in. We're under grace. We, we, don't, we don't keep the law because Christ has fulfilled the law. And we're not our own. Verse 19, verse 20 says, you've been bought with a price. The blood of Christ has been shed. The payment has been made so that we can now stand in the righteousness of Christ. Our works aside, praise the Lord. Often in church, we are so forceful about those who would overdo the liberty that we forget to be relaxed and enjoy the liberty. So I want to give you the other side there and say, man, stand firm, stand fast. And your liberty, and don't be brought again under bondage. A good clue for you if you've been brought under bondage is if you have no joy in your Christian life. If you have no joy in your Christian life, I would encourage you to go do, go do something that maybe you think is sin, but probably isn't. That's, a, that's so hard for a preacher to say. I'm just going to be honest. Maybe we do like Barney and Otis. When you get the urge, you call me up first. <laughs> and we'll talk about it. And we'll decide if you should do this or not. I do not really want those calls. Anybody volunteering to take those calls? I got to an age where my kids were old enough that I worried about them all the time. I was paying for health insurance and life insurance and house insurance and liability insurance. And we'd go to these amusement parks and they'd say, Dad, ride the rides. And I'd say, I'm not riding these. Why? You scared? Well, yes, mostly I am scared, but also I don't want to hurt my back because I'd have to go to the doctor the next day. If I fall off this thing, I'm going to be dead. Who's going to take care of you and your, your mother? And all of these things going through my mind, and, I, and I'm, I'm just not doing this. Well, finally, one day, Jack and Henry, and I don't even remember what park we were at. They had convinced me to get on this ride, and I got on it, and I got off, and I was so happy, and I was laughing, and I said, oh, that was so much fun. Let's do that again. It didn't hurt. I didn't get injured. This is what I'm saying to you as Christians. Stand fast in your liberty. Where's our joy? There are so many Christians out there looking for the devil around a corner at every turn. They're so afraid they're, gonna, they're just going to mess all this up for God. Let's take that back to our salvation. If we could mess this up, we would. Uh, we're, we're, uh, by our standard, we're doing, by God's standard and our actions, we're doing a pretty bad job anyways. But He gives more grace. Now, this is not me saying, well, let's just brace a, a case, a raw, a raw theology, whatever will be, will be. It is what it is. YOLO. And just, you know, lays our way through life. No. But at the same time, who should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth in this regard? It should be us. There's nothing that we can do that's going to send us from, to hell. There's nothing that we can do that is going to cause God not to love us. Now, I can't quite wrap my head around that. I can give you some theological terminology and some explanations of that to help you try to wrap your head around it. But when it comes right down to it, why an almighty, holy God who is just would love me unconditionally is beyond me. But He does. Praise the Lord. 
So stand fast in your liberty. All things are lawful for us. Followers of Christ have been set free from the meticulous legalism of this world. You know who wants you to be bound in legalism? It's not God. It's Satan. Because for Christians to be bound in legalism, we'll never get happy. We'll always be judging each other, so we'll never have unity. And we just have this inner chaos going on all the time. God has given us liberty of conscience, which allows us to avoid burdening ourselves with lists of do's and don'ts. Now, I don't want to misstep here and leave out personality types. Some of you are just wired to where you need a list of do's and don'ts. And that's all right. And I don't want you to think that that's improper. What would that be, Brother Hartson? You taught us about these people. <laughs> do you know? Yeah, spiritual gifts. Does the... Yeah. Uh, they, they say, well, he's doing his best and trying to improve. Yep. So, uh, people just teach the Bible. If there's a chapter verse that says, you know, this is sure wrong, then it must be okay. Yep. That's what it says. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you were saying the exhorters? People are like, probably tell you you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The prophet. So we don't want to get past that. And, and you did a great job laying that out for us how that, that's so important for, you know, every spoke in the wheel has to be there for the wheel to be turning. And the wheel of the church, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And, and I don't know how many of you missed that teaching, but I love the illustration that you gave us on the, on the handout there. You're laid up there in the hospital bed and the giver comes by for the visit and says, I want you to know on the way up, I paid the hospital bill. The, um, the prophet came by and says, what sin is in your life that God would put you in the hospital here? The gift of mercy comes by and says, what can I do for you? Etc. Right? I might be messing that up, but you get the idea. It takes all of that for us to work this way. So when I talk about embracing your liberty and you don't have to live by a set of do's and don'ts, I know some of you, like Emerson, are breaking out in hives and thinking, wait a minute now, I want my list of do's and don'ts. Well, that's fine. But even for you, just stick to some very... Basic, black and white, biblical do's and don'ts. Do love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We're to be free. Why does God want us to be free? So that we can serve Christ faithfully. So all things are lawful. We've been freed from legalism. But we also must avoid the opposite extreme, which is this being brought under the power of addiction. So we have Freedom and legalism. Those are our two bumpers there. And of course, the Corinthian church, as was their typical characteristic, they have taken this too far. And that seemed to be their thing. They took spiritual gifts to the extreme. They took their sinning under liberty to the extreme. They took their party spirit for their guy that baptized them to the extreme. And here Paul has to write to them again. And he gives the example in verse number 13 as he says, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now I need you to think here about the immorality that he's specifically talking about and then the relationship that he's going to bring into this to help you wrap your head around even something as, as simple as 
should I go to the movies or not? And I'm using that one because I think you should go and enjoy the movies. I have no bones about that. So whatever it is for you, though, in that regard, when you're trying to make these distinctions. So what does he say here? Well, God has designed the human stomach to receive food and digest it. And God has designed food to be able to be received and digested by the human stomach. What is he saying there? It's a yin and a yang type thing. One was designed for the other, and the two work together very well. And he's going to get to here in just a moment the Genesis verse about marriage. These two shall become one flesh. But he's going to apply that not to husband and wife, but to the Holy Spirit indwelling us so that we've become one with Christ. Then that changes things a bit when we decide what we can and can't do in this mortal body because we've put on immortality. So I can do whatever I want because I'm no longer under the law. But because the Holy Spirit envelops me, what I want should be different. Yes, sir, Brother Darrell. Would that go into, and we're going to get to this in a few chapters, the thing sacrificed to idols? I'm not familiar with Acts 9 there, but so they said you can't eat anything that's been strangled. Yes, and there was a specific way for the lamb to be killed in the old ta- in the old tabernacle. The bleeding here, so yes, hmm, that's interesting. I do like that they took six hundred sixty-one things down to three. That's fantastic. So, simple principles here from verse thirteen, as we think about meats for the belly and the belly for meats. We should not live for food because it is of only temporary value. He says here, God shall destroy both it and them. Uh, don't give food undue place in your life. And boy, I'm guilty of this. It, it, often at times, we try to plan a trip and Shanae will be thinking where we should go and take the children. And I'll be thinking about where we can eat along the way. They just want to get there. I want to stop. You know, so that's for sure a thing. The point's not being, you know, if you're a foodie, the point is not that you can't enjoy food and make that a fun part of your life. The point is, you need to understand that someday this is going to go away. Now, personally, don't think this is Paul saying 
in the millennial kingdom or in eternity, we won't be eating anymore because we, we know about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, some would say that's spiritual feasting only, but it doesn't seem to, to portray it that way when we study about it there. And I'm just, because I'm me, I'm not going to get behind that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the other thing is, don't live as if, and, and he's talking about food, but, but I want you to understand, read the rest of the verse, right? Now the body is not fornication before the Lord and the Lord for the body. So when we think about food, we're, we're, we're making that smaller application for this bigger thing. Don't live as if the greatest thing in life is to gratify the appetite. Now Swindoll does a good job summarizing what's going on in Corinth here and in, in, in infecting this congregation. He says it like this, when your body is hungry, feed it. This was their, their mantra. When your body is hungry, feed it. When it's thirsty, quench it. When it lusts, indulge it. When it craves, satisfy it. Now where does he come up with that? Because they were going around saying, meat's for the body and the body for meats. And then they were applying that even to the, the perversions of immorality that they were involving themselves in. So they were saying, well, if I'm hungry, I eat. And God made me that way. So if I have this desire, I must satisfy it within myself because God made me that way. Well, to an extent, but for one man, for one woman, for one lifetime. Outside of that, he says, well, then you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Now again, Paul reminds at the end of that verse, your body is for the Lord as opposed to the sinful things that you're kind of justifying doing with it. Then in verse 14, he brings to mind future resurrection. And you, on an initial reading, I thought to myself, well, what, what, where did he get to the resurrection here? That's a, that's a leap. So let's read it. He says, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. So point being, as God raised Christ, he will someday raise us. Well, what are the Corinthians doing? They're acting as if they can compartmentalize sin because they can separate in their brains, well, this is saying I'm doing my physical body, not my spiritual soul. I'm doing this in the material, not the immaterial. And so Paul says to them here, I'm going to combine those and I'm going to remind you that your body and your spirit have been bought with a price, verse 19, and is no longer your own, verse 20. McDonald comments here, the Lord is interested in our bodies, their welfare and their proper use. God wants our bodies to be presented to him a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. His interest in our body does not end at the time of death. We will not be disembodied spirits in eternity. Rather, our spirit and our soul will be re reunited with our glorified body, thus to enjoy the glories of heaven forever. So Paul brings up the resurrection here to say to the Corinthians, you're acting like you can do whatever you want with your body because you're going to get the new body, right? Well, it's not quite as distinct as you're trying to make it to be because all of you, material and immaterial, has been bought with a price and been paid for. Now, that's his illustration. Then he gets to the issue here. So he's just talked about these phrases that you're saying. All things are lawful for me. Meats for the belly, the belly for meats. 15, 16, 17, he lays out the specific issue. Notice verse 15. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. So our bodies are joined with Christ. Would we join Christ's body with this type of sinning? Well, well no, of course not. And he answers his own question there as we would answer. God forbid that I should do such a thing. So we say in here when we sin as the body of Christ, which is who we are. We're the body of Christ. This is exactly what we're doing. When we sin, we're, we're joining Christ's body with that sin. 
Verse 16 and 17, then he says what? Know ye not that that which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So just as in marriage, two become one flesh. When we sin physically as the body of Christ, we are joining the body with this sinning. So they're operating with this point of view. I'm spiritually free and under grace, and I can do whatever I want physically. And Paul makes a case here for this being impossible because we, we just cannot compartmentalize sin. Now, don't, don't go further than I'm going in the preaching in your head. Still stand fast in your Christian liberty. But things that are specifically sins, 9 and 10, chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, all throughout Scripture we find things that are just clearly laid out to be sin, idolatry. You can't compartmentalize that. You can't say, well, my, my flesh takes us in, but my spirit does. It doesn't work that way. So he gives them some instructions, and that's where we'll end in verses 18 through 20. What, what do we need to do about this? Well, the first, he says, flee fornication. Or our application there would just be flee sinning. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So the Corinthians thought they had found a way to justify this partaking in this temple practice that was physically immoral. And Paul reminds them that you're taking advantage of your liberty here. Further, he says this sin would affect even your spiritual man. And, and, and we understand that in the sexual realm because it's not just physical. It can't be and it never will be. Verse 19, then he says the next instruction is remember who God made you. So verse 18, flee. Think of Joseph. You're tempted. <laughs> Leave your coat. Run from Potiphar's wife here. And then verse 19, remember who God has made you to be. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? So he reminds him here, your body is the, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on the earth. Now take your, take your mind back to the Old Testament tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. Think of the ceremony and the, the, the outer appearance of holiness and reverence that kind of went into all of that. And Paul is saying here, you think you're separating physical and spiritual and you're holy on Sunday and then on Tuesday you're over here at the temple of Diana and you're, in, you're involved in this thing and you say, well, that's only my physical body here. He says, but even in the physical, you need to remember you're, you're hosting the Holy Spirit of God there. So even keep it holy. And he says, you're not your own anymore. Now we need to follow Paul's logic. I mean, there's just a simple reading there. You're not your own and you're bought with a price. We understand that. But he, but he just talked about married people. He, verse 17, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Verse 16, For two saith he shall be one flesh. That's a reference to Genesis chapter 2. So just as a, a married man can no longer live the life of a bachelor. Amen, ladies? 20th anniversary. I guess I can't uh, go out with the guys tonight, right? This would not be acceptable. But the game's on, dear. Please. We understand the, the humor that goes with that. Well, Paul says, just as that's the case, a believer can no longer sin and assume there's no effect to be expected on themselves. A married man can't live the bachelor life anymore. He's got to live the married life. A saved person cannot live the worldly life anymore. He's got to live the Christian life. 
Why? Because the Spirit of God is there. In a sense, you've been married together with Him. He indwells you. Yes, sir, Brother Homer. It absolutely is, yeah. Wiersbe said in this regard, if you begin each day by surrendering your body to Christ, it will make a great deal of difference in what you do with your body during the day. That's good. Yep, and I posted it on Faith Life, so it's there. If you begin each day by surrendering your body to Christ, it will make a great deal of difference in what you do with your body during the day. Lord, what would you have me to do today? Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the form of legalism I want to practice. The, the, the third instruction that he gives here is just to glorify God in verse 20. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are no longer our own. We've been purchased. Body and spirit. Material and immaterial. So Paul's final thoughts here are sort of refuting the Corinthian logic of sinning under liberty. So I would say to us, the church now, let's also not be violating our relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit by taking our liberty to either extreme. I'm going to exercise it to no end, even though I might be brought under the control of some of these things. Or I'm going to clench to it so hard that I become a legalist. Let's just keep the balance. Keep it in the middle of the road. Stand fast in our liberty while being in unity in this marriage we have with Christ. He's the groom or the bride. We have His Holy Spirit as our engagement ring. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for time in the Word tonight with Your church. We pray that You would help us to take these things and use them for Your honor and Your glory. It's a, it's a tough fight in the world we live in today to, to be holy while also not being legalistic. To stand fast in the liberty of grace that you've given us while also not appealing to the lusts of our flesh. So help us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.